remain standing Isaiah chapter 39 and uh, we'll read our passage of scripture I don't normally am not in that hurry to get into a message this morning on a Sunday morning but uh, I just this morning I was telling the Sunday school class I had uh, I got about 15 sermons sitting on my desk that I've not preached anywhere. So, I mean, just uh, studied and prayed and, and uh, get a message, you know, and then I'll come to church and I'll get here and just uh, God will do something different in my heart. And uh, he knows what he's doing, amen? And uh, this morning I went to uh, bed last night thinking, well, I know what I'm going to preach on in the morning, Lord willing. And I got up this morning and was praying and uh, God just spoke to my heart. I preached on a home last Sunday morning and Sunday night. And uh, this morning praying, I just felt like the Lord really spoke to my heart about going back and preaching on the home again this morning. And, uh, you know, when God does something like that, he's doing something, something I can't see and something that uh, maybe as a church we can't see, but he's working in the lives of individuals. And I, I appreciate that this morning, but I want to be obedient to God. Isaiah chapter number uh, 38 this morning, and we'll begin reading in verse, or verse Isaiah 39, I'm sorry. Uh, verse number one, we'll begin reading this morning. The Bible says, At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah. For he had heard that he had been sick and was recovered. And Hezekiah was glad of them and showed them of the house of his precious things, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment, and all the house of his armor and all that was found in his treasures. There was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah showed them not. Then came Isaiah the prophet unto king Hezekiah and said unto him, What said these men? And from whence came they unto thee? And Hezekiah said, They are come from a far country unto me, even from Babylon. Then said he, What have they seen in thine house? Hezekiah answered, All that is in mine house have they seen. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not showed them. Then said Isaiah to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the day is come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store until this day shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, left saith the Lord. And of thy sons thou shalt issue from thee, that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the kings of, or the king of Babylon. Then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. He said, Moreover, for there shall be peace and truth in my days. Let's bow for prayer, then you can be seated. Our Father, as we come into your presence this morning, Lord, we want to thank you for the presence of God we feel in this place today. I want to thank you for the good singing that we've heard. Lord, for the uh, time of offering, for the Sunday school hour. I pray now that you'll bless the reading of thy word. Help me not to say anything that would grieve the Holy Spirit. I pray that you'll guide my tongue and my lips and my thoughts this morning. Lord, I ask you to do the work that no man can do. I know that within us dwelleth no good thing, that all of our righteousness is filthy rags. Lord, we need help from heaven this morning, and I pray that you do, uh, Lord, what only you can do, and we'll give you glory and honor. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. I want to draw your attention to verse number four in a statement that is very classical in the Word of God that I'm sure you've heard preaching on many times where the Bible says, and ask the question, what have they seen in thy house? 
And when we think about this question this morning, we must consider what surrounds this question. In chapter number 38, uh, the Bible talks about the healing of King Hezekiah. It talks about his sickness and his supplication as he turned his face to the wall and he began to pray. And then it talks about his salvation as the sign was given to him and 15 more years was granted because of his prayer. But it also talks about his suffering and his summary in chapter number 38. So there's a lot leading up to verse number four, the healing of Hezekiah in chapter 38. But chapter 39 deals with the hospitality of Hezekiah because what happens here is we see in verse number one and two the foolishness of this king as he opens his doors to the world of Babylon and allows them to come in. You know that the word Babylon means confusion and Babylon always represents a type of the world and Hezekiah invites the world into his house. Now there's a lot of people sitting in our churches today that are guilty of the very same thing. They know God. They claim to love God as Hezekiah. They have they possess the word of God. They go to the house of God. All of this can be said about Hezekiah. But yet they invite the world to come in and to take a sneak peek at the treasures that are within their house. I want to say this morning, the treasures in your home is not the furniture. It's not what's sitting in the garage this morning. It's not what's in a hope chest somewhere. Listen, it's not what's in a drawer nor in a safe, but it's your family unit. It's your home, friend. And what's happening is they make a foolish mistake that Hezekiah makes by allowing the world to come into the home. So there is the foolishness of this king. And then we find here not only that, but the faulting of this king. As Isaiah comes in in verses three through seven, he rebukes this king and he says, which cometh these people and what have they seen in thy house? Hezekiah said they've seen everything. Hey, can I tell you something, friend? If you let the world and you let the devil in your house, that's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to ransack your home and the world, the flesh, and the devil will see everything valuable that is in your house. Isaiah rebukes him and says, because you have done this, there is coming a day when they shall return. And when they come back, he says what they're going to do is they're going to enslave your family. They're going to enslave your people and they're going to take every treasure out of your home. Now I'm here to tell you this morning if you let the devil and the world in that's exactly what they'll do. They'll make slaves out of your children. They'll enslave your home and they'll take everything good and everything godly away from you. And so there is the rebuke. And can I say this? Thank God for a preacher. Thank God for a man of God that had enough courage and enough grit to stand and put his finger in the king's face and rebuke him for the sin that he had committed. I'm going to tell you something about preaching. If a man of God ever gets hooked up, if he ever walks with God uh, and he gets in that pulpit, he'll see everybody the same. Amen? Uh, the banker will hear the same message that the beggar will. Uh, it doesn't matter. Listen, if it's a, a member of high status in society, he ought to get preached to like everybody else. Amen? I'm telling you, friend, no amount of money, no amount of prestige uh, ought to dictate the message that comes uh, from the pulpit. Hallelujah. And so there's the rebuke and then there's the response in verse number eight. Notice this, what a response. Hezekiah says to Isaiah, good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. Now watch what he says. He said, moreover, watch this, for there shall be peace and truth in my days. What selfishness of the king. Because he opened his doors to the world and allowed them to see 
the blessed treasures that God had given to him. Because of that, he said, well, what you said is true. Now listen to me. He said, what you said is true. But he said this morning, at least there'll be peace in my days. In other words, Hezekiah didn't care what happened to generations that come after him. As long as he lived in peace and truth, that was all that mattered. You know, we're living in a society today that my friend has sold out our children and our grandchildren. I'm telling you, there's a crowd in Washington this morning. They've sold our children and grandchildren down the river. They plunged this uh, country so far into debt. Uh, it'll take 10 lifetimes to pay that debt off. Uh, and friend, I believe it's a mark of the last days uh, that will come uh, home to hone us uh, and to hone our children and our grandchildren. But I'm preaching this morning out of verse number four on what have they seen uh, in my house. Now think about this question this morning that Isaiah asked. I see the curiosity as he says, what have they seen in my house? I think about the crowd as he says, what have they, talking about the Babylonians, seen in my house? And then I think about my friend, the content, as he declares, what have they seen? What have they looked upon? And then there's the category. And that's what I want to emphasize this morning. What have they seen in thine house? Amen. There are three homes this morning, or three houses, should I say, that the world is looking at us today. And the question remains, what have they seen? in the house. I want to give you those three houses this morning and we'll be done. These three houses, a house is a dwelling place. Can I get an amen right there? I want to ask the question, first of all, what have they seen in thy house when it comes, my friend, uh, to the family house, amen? When it comes to the family unit in the family home, what has the Babylonians, what has the world seen when they look at our house? You see, we need a revival of a Christian home, amen? Just because somebody says they have a Christian home does not mean they have a Christian home. Putting a plaque on the outside of your house uh, and a scripture verse is wonderful, but that doesn't establish a Christian home. Amen. We see verses all the time and little signs in the front yard and that's wonderful to put scripture out there but that does not establish a Christian home. You see it's not what's hanging on the door or what's put out in the yard that establishes a home. It's what takes place and what goes on when the door is shut and locked and nobody sees it but that family unit. Amen. I'm telling you friend when the world looks at our house one of the things they ought to see is they ought to see some family devotion. Amen. There ought to be some family altars in our home. Prayer and the Bible ought to be in the house. Amen. It ought to be on a daily basis and a regular basis. There ought to be a praying husband and a praying wife and some praying children. The old saying is the family that prays together stays together. When's the last time you got your children and your wife around the coffee table? When's the last time you knelt down in the living room and you had family prayer together? If you want your children to have a precious memory. Don't worry about buying them a car. Don't worry about buying them a four-wheeler. Worry about making a memory in the living room of your home. Let them little ears hear mom and dad leaning over them and praying over them all the days of their life. There ought to be some family devotion in the home. Amen. I'm talking about freedom. We've got Hollywood in the home. Listen, we've got rock music in the home. We've got country music in the home. We've got all kind of perversion and corruption in the 
the home, but what we need in our home is we need some godliness, amen? We need the right kind of living on the inside so that we'll have the right kind of living on the outside. I'm telling you, friend, we don't need the filth and the trash and the corruption of this world in our home. There ought to be some good gospel music. There ought to be an old-time leather-lung preacher coming over the radio or coming over the airwaves. There ought to be some family prayers. There ought to be some family communication about the Word of God. You ought to sit around the table and don't talk about everybody and don't talk about the preacher and don't talk about the church and don't talk about my friend football. Somebody say amen. Don't talk about hunting and fishing. Talk about the Word of God around the family table. Amen. Now, we don't have family table much anymore, do we? We got four televisions in the home. And mom goes in her room and dad goes in his room and the kids go off in their room and everybody's eating a microwave dinner for supper and nobody's having a decent meal around the table and they don't ask how the days went. They don't ask how people's lives are going. People are so detached. They don't even know what's happening amongst their own homes. And while dad's off in one room and mom's off in another room, the children are engaging in things that the world is filtering into them that they have absolutely no idea idea that one day it's going to come home to haunt them. One day sin and tragedy is going to show up at their doorstep because the Bible and prayer is nothing more than a memorial in the house. It's just something they do on Sunday. They walk in on Sunday night and they throw their Bible somewhere in the corner and they never pick it up all week. They never quote a verse of scripture and they wonder why there's trouble in the house. Amen. Hey, mom and dad, what have they seen in your house? What have your children seen this morning? If your children was to stand up and testify, what goes on in your home, would you be embarrassed? Would it be fussing and arguing? Would it be, my friend, uh, watching filthy movies and listening to, to filthy talk? Uh, would it be things that would dishonor God? Or would it be children that would stand up and say, we talk about the Bible. Mom and dad holds hands. Uh, mom and dad loves each other. There's family devotion in the home. Y'all still with me this morning? Uh, I'm just simply saying this. Uh, our, home, our churches uh, will never be more spiritual than our homes. Uh, and we need spiritual homes uh, so we can have spiritual churches. Amen. Amen. Now, I know this isn't popular preaching in our day and time, but it sure is needed, friend. Brother, there ought to be family devotion in the home. What have they seen? They ought to be some fundamental discipline in the home. And when I say discipline, I mean that there ought to be some, some steadiness. There ought to be some consistency in the home. There ought to be, uh, you ought to discipline yourself. Mom should dis discipline herself to keep the house. Dad ought to discipline himself to be the spiritual leader. The children ought to discipline themselves to obey their parents and the Lord, for this is right. You ought to not ask why, amen? And if they do ask why, then I'll give you the answer, because I said so. Somebody say amen. Don't explain to your children. I may preach some things I preached last week, but obviously it needs to be re-preached. Amen. Don't ask your children how they feel about something. Don't ask them their opinion. Don't ask what they think about it. God didn't give you those children so they can lead you. God gave you those children so you can lead them. Amen. And so be the leader of your home. It's going to hurt their feelings at times. They're not always going to understand, but they don't have to understand. They need discipline in their home. Mom and dad, you need discipline in your home. There ought to be some consistency about us in the home. As I said last Sunday, y'all to whip your kids. Y'all to use scripture. Y'all to be secret. 
Amen. Parents, you'll make yourself look bad. Amen. It ought to be steadfast. And it ought to be with sensitivity. Don't whip your children out of anger. Don't let them see you mad and angry. Don't scream and yell. Somebody say amen. I'm telling you, listen, I'm glad our father doesn't treat us that way. He disciplines us in a fundamental way. And there ought to be some fundamental discipline. You ought to, if you're a parent, you ought to study that Bible about how to discipline your children. God give them a proper place. Isn't that right? To whip them. And you ought to whip them in that place. And you ought to have prayer with them when you whip them. Amen. And there ought to be some brokenness about you when you whip them. Amen. Because that's the way it is with God. They ought to not see anger and fear in your eyes. They ought not see wrath. But they ought to be, listen, it ought to tear you up to whip your children. I'm just saying this morning, there's got to be fundamental discipline, amen? And then there ought to be this morning, uh, there ought to be some faithful dedication in the home, amen? Your wife ought to know you're coming home at the end of the day. The ring on your fingers, I said last Sunday, it ought to mean something, amen? I'm talking about this morning, friend. I've never in my life had God have me preach the same, uh, run the same vein this close, but obviously he's trying to get the message across this morning. There ought to be holiness in her home. There ought to be some help in her home. Well, not listen, uh, if there's some man here this morning, uh, listen, if you're hooked on pornography, you need to get some help and get right with God, amen? I'm telling you, friend, don't let pornography in your house, amen? And don't give your children a cell phone. Somebody say amen. I promise you they cannot handle it, amen? And there's ways to get around uh, filters and things now like we have never seen. Don't put a cell phone in a teenager's hands uh, in the battle of their life. Uh, uh, listen, keep them as long as you can keep them and keep them in the right way. Uh, and listen, have uh, uh, some uh, discernment about your life, uh, but there ought to be some devotion to God and to each other in that home. Amen. You ought to love each other. You ought to stand by each other. You ought to let, not let the sun go down on your wrath. You ought to treat your wife like a queen. Somebody say amen. You ought to treat your husband like a king. Amen. That doesn't mean you got to call him Lord, amen, but you ought to treat him like a king. I heard one lady say, well, I might call him Lord, but I ain't going to call him Lord, amen. But you ought to treat each other special, isn't that right? You ought to lift each other up. I mean, listen, you ought to hold hands every now and then. You ought to tell each other good night. You ought to kiss each other on the cheek, amen. There ought to be a little romance in the home. Somebody say amen right there. I'm telling you, friend, they ought to be love amongst each other. You ought to, listen, always be careful how you talk to each other. I've heard some men and women talk to each other and I thank my Lord. I mean, I never want to say anything to humiliate my wife. Is that right? Either y'all about to go to sleep or you're deep under conviction this morning. I'm telling you, listen, some man that'll, listen, cut his wife down in front of people, he ought to be taken out back and horse whipped. Somebody say amen. And some woman, amen, that talked to her husband like he's, a, listen, like he's a second-rate man, she ought to be horse whipped. Somebody say amen right there. I mean, if God give you a good spouse, uh, you ought to be careful. You ought not let your flesh get in the way. Somebody say amen right there. Your children are taking every bit of that in. How you treat each other is how they're gonna treat their spouse, amen? And you ought to love each other, pray for each other, stand behind each other. You ought to have faith together and build each other up in that faith. You know, as I said last week, spend all the time you can together because one day you're gonna part from this life uh, and every day is a gift from God and it ought to be precious, Amen. 
woman, you ought to be together every chance you can. Ain't something wrong when a woman wants to get away from her husband and go hang out with the ladies all the time. There's something wrong when a man wants to get away from his wife and go hang out with the boys all the time. You gave all that up when you got married. You aren't gonna get all the toys and the trinkets of this world, but God gave you a great treasure when he gave you a spouse. Hallelujah. I really feel like just hammering pornography and adultery for a few moments. It destroys homes. I'm telling you, friend, you don't need to be looking at something you ought not be looking at. And nakedness is still sin. Do you know where God calls nakedness in the Bible? He starts it with a thigh. And it's my friend, when you listen, the thigh is called nakedness in the word of God. I'm telling you, friend, listen, you, that's why you can't watch the sitcoms uh, and all the things that's on television nowadays. Uh, there's so much ungodliness and nakedness uh, and filth on the television. You can't have a clean mind and a pure conscience uh, and be right with God uh, when you watch all that filth. I don't even know what's on there anymore. Don't even care. When I'm telling you, friend, here's the problem today. We got men with corrupt minds and women that fantasize because their husband's not what they see on television and men that fantasize because their wife is not meeting the image that Hollywood has pumped into their minds. Uh, and they're, listen, the, they'll meet some little hot tail mama down at work somewheres uh, uh, that'll say something to them uh, and will woo them, you know, somewheres else. Uh, you know what'll happen to them. Uh, next thing you know, listen, they'll be saying sweet nothings in their ear uh, and your home will be on the rocks, friend. Uh, hey, listen, I'm here to tell you this morning, uh, uh, you better thank God you got a faithful wife. You better thank God you got a faithful husband. I just believe God wants me to run that vein a little bit more. I'm saying this morning, you better be dedicated to each other. Amen. I don't keep nothing from my wife. I tell her everything. Lord, if I cheated on her, she'd know it in a heartbeat. She'd probably be sitting on the front porch with a double barrel shotgun with double on buck in both barrels. And she'd pull both triggers at the same time. I can tell you right now. I mean, she can hit the center of a bullseye every time. We was out there one day shooting guns, and I thought the gun was a little bit off, and she hit it right in the, right in the bullseye first shot. I said, you need to get back in the house and cook something. Amen. <laughs> I know what she'd do. But you know what? I can't lie to her. I can't keep nothing from her. I told her, if I ever cheat on you, you'll know in a heartbeat. One, God will expose it. I mean, we'll go, listen, I'll, I'll be on a diet. She'll say, now, we'll be on a diet. And, and you know what? She said, you eat such, such? I said, I sure did. <laughs> and sometimes she won't even ask me. I'll come in. I'll say, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you what I did. She's like, well, I ate six donuts today. <laughs> She'll say, why did you do that? I said, I don't know. I said, but at least I didn't lie to you. That ought to count for something. I just can't lie to her. I start a diet every Monday. How many of y'all do that? Amen. I, Brother Blake, I mean, I, I just tell her. I mean, I say, well, you're not going to believe what I did today. And she's like, she thinks it's going to be good news, you know. And I'll say, man, I stopped by McDonald's and I got two cheeseburgers and ate both of them. She's like, you blew your diet. I said, I know it. Tell her to be honesty. She knows every passcode to my phone. Everybody knows my passcode. It's 1975, in case you don't know. <laughs> you can go through it anytime you want to. Look at anything you want to in my cell phone. You say, why you want it? You shouldn't tell it. No, I want everybody to know. 
You know why? It's not that I'm that spiritual. I'm that wicked. I'm that ungodly. This old flesh, I'm not trusting it. I'm not giving it an ounce nowhere. You give it an inch, it'll take a mile. Amen? I'm telling you, listen, she knows everything, and I want her to know everything. There ought to be no secrets in the home. Somebody say amen. They ought to know everything. They ought to know how much money's in the bank. They ought to know where the money goes when you spend it. Somebody say amen. I know the man makes the final decision, but she ought to know the financial. Uh, she ought to know how to, write a che- how to write a check out, amen, and how to pay the bills. That way if something happens to you, you, you ought to love her enough to, to prepare things in society so she can still function and she don't struggle when you're gone, amen. There ought to be some life insurance so when you kick the bucket and die, that she can still live. Now don't give her too much, amen. Now, I don't want the next man living too high off the hog, amen. But I want just enough for her to make it through this life and be comfortable, amen. But I'm telling you, friend, you ought to take care of your wife. Somebody say amen. I don't care if I had to work two jobs. They ought to, what have they seen in the house? Financial discernment. Preparing for the future. You know, as a pastor, you have to prepare. Because if something happens to me, I know this church loves us, but you can't take care of her. You took good care of us, and I thank God for that. But you can't take care of her and another pastor and pastor's wife. And it's the same way on all of our, there ought to be some financial discernment. Oh, there's things I'd love to have, as I said last week, but I'm gonna tell you something. You can't have a $20,000 bass boat unless you've got a lot of money. Somebody say amen. And if you've got a lot of money, have at it, Amen. But I'm telling you, a working man is going to have to give up some things. You're going to have to sell some guns. You're going to have to sell some things that you used to have. No, listen, I know there's things that, that listen, if you can pay your tithes and take care of your family, I say have all that God will let you have. But there's something wrong when you plunge your family in financial debt and you strap them and your wife can't have a few things in life because you got to have so many toys and you got to have so many. As a man told me this week, he said, I work around the clock. He said, because I like to have a lot of toys and he's a lost man so I didn't say nothing to him but I thought to myself have at it fella amen I'm telling you the Bible said when I became a man I put away childish things amen and there's some times when you just need to grow up a little bit somebody say amen I've never seen so many young men that act like little children they act like babies I mean, they, 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 they don't know how to be an adult. I mean, they pout, they whine, they whimper. You'd think they was raised around a bunch of girls all their life. I mean, listen, they stub their toe and they cry about it. They don't know how to shake nothing off. Always feeling sorry for themselves. Always down and out. Hey, listen, your wife didn't marry a mouse. She married a man. And you ought to man up a little bit. And you ought to be strong enough in the faith and be able to endure some hardships in this walk of life. Amen. I'm talking about, listen, in days gone by, men were men. They fought wars. They built machines. And they worked jobs and they took care of their family. You girls, listen to me. Don't you, don't you marry one of these little sissified boys. Amen. One of these little limp-wristed boys running around with skinny waist, you know, size 26 jeans and they're 17 years old. Amen. You wait till they get a little more meat on their bones, amen, before you even think about it. Find out what they're gonna be when they get older, amen. I'm the little bracelet-wearing boys. I'm talking about, hey, all that stuff. I mean, that's just good character, amen. Don't marry a man that goes to a beauty shop, amen. Isn't that right? 
Brother, go to a bear, uh, go to a barber shop and get your hair cut. Don't get it done. Amen. I'm talking about be a man. That's just I know that's so foreign to this millennial crowd, uh, but that's why we're in the mess we're in. Uh, we got boys running around with earwear, earrings, and perms, uh, and we got girls running around getting their hair chopped off uh, and tattoos on their arms uh, and driving dump trucks and climbing power poles, uh, and we wonder why society's so warped. What have they seen in my house? Uh, put them bows on the girls. Uh, put some boots on them boys uh, and raise them up uh, and let them know how God made them in this life. Amen. Isn't that right? What have they seen in my house? I'm talking about this morning in the family house. What have they seen in the fleshly house? This house this morning. When the world looks at us, what do they see? They ought to see us living clean. Amen. That means you got to keep your clothes on all the year long. Somebody say amen. You don't peel them off in the summertime and Lord knows you don't peel them off in the wintertime, amen? But I'm telling you, we're living in a day when there's no decency and respect and modesty, not even amongst, not just women, but even amongst men now. Men wear pants uh, uh, that are revealing how ungodly and wicked that is. Uh, women, listen, wear see-through material and show their cleavage uh, and everything is exposed and we wonder why this society is so warped and why it thinks about, uh, listen, the corruption and perversion all the time. Hey, listen, God designed clothes to cover the body in the book of Genesis. It was to cover the flesh and it was to hide the flesh. It's not to uncover the flesh and ma'am, it's not how much you can show and how much can be seen, but when you put a dress, put some dress on, you ought to stand in front of the mirror and you ought to bend in every direction you can and make sure that you're decent and make sure that it's long enough and loose enough. Somebody say, man, make sure you, uh, man, that you've got to listen, that you've got on a, a suit that looks like a man. Hallelujah. Put a suit on the other day, Brother George, and I'm telling you, I thank God I was in secret when I put it on. Whew. I put that on, I said, God, forgive me. These sodomite suits that they're making nowadays, Brother, I'm telling you, and let, can I say this? Boys, you don't want to go to church dressed like a clown. Somebody say amen. You're not bozo, amen? Don't go to church. Uh, uh, listen, uh, uh, listen. you got 900 different colors on. Uh, uh, learn how to match some things. Uh, ain't nothing wrong with being a little bit up to date and looking a little bit. You ought to look nice, uh, but you ought to dress conservative, amen? I don't mean you've got to wear a lime suit every Sunday, amen? Look like you was born in the 60s, uh, uh, but you ought, to look, uh, you ought to look like a boy and not look like a clown. Look like a man when you come to the house of God. Oh, man. It's amazing. I was in a meeting the other day and a young man, 19 years old, got up to preach. Now this is how he was dressed. And I'm not against men wearing any color as long as you just look right. Can I, does that make sense? But this boy had on purple pants. He had on a pink shirt. And he had on a powder blue uh, jacket and a plaid bow tie. I sat there and looked at him. I thought, my Lord, he looks like an Easter bunny mess. He looks like an Easter egg threw up on him. And I thought to myself, what is going on? I'm not, listen, I'm not against you wearing colors, but I'm telling you, listen, a shy, just red lipstick and, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a white powder face, I mean, and listen, he'd have been Bozo the Clown. He might as well, man. Nobody can take, if I was dressed like that this morning, would you take me seriously? Absolutely not. <laughs> well, we're, 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 
we're plowing as close to the corn as we can get right now. I don't, you know, we're just living in those days. I'm not telling you you can't wear some colors. I was in another church service one day, and a guy come in here's what he only on a red shirt, red red suit, red shoes, and a white tie. There was six hundred people, at least six hundred people in the building, and I could see him running all the church. Looked like a devil. You know, there's other ways to call attention to your body rather than revealing it. Amen. I'm just simply saying this morning, and I know I lost half of y'all on that right there. Brother, I'm telling you, listen, if I, had, if I had a boy growing up in this society, there's just some things that he's not going to do, amen? Because I want him to be a man. You say, well, it, that's no big deal. It will be when he gets 16, 17 years old, amen? I'm telling you, his, his favorite color don't need to be violet, amen? Isn't that right? Listen, it don't need to be, listen, it don't need to be, I, I, I'm just, I've said enough right there, but let me just say this. I, I, listen, there ought to be some manhood. I, I'm talking about this flesh. I, I, it ought to be dressed right. I, it ought to not call attention to itself, amen. I'm not saying you got to run around sackcloth and ashes all the time, but I'm saying this morning, brother, we're living in a time when image seems to be everything. You know how hard it is to keep nakedness out of a church nowadays? Brother, people get mad. I mean, people visit your church. You preach one good sermon on living clean and covering your body, and you know what, people, they say, well, this ain't for me. I'm going to go somewhere else. That preacher's mean. That preacher's just trying. No, I'm just trying to keep. Listen, we got to keep a clean house. Isn't that right? And if you're right with God, you all want to cover your body. Your body ain't near as pretty as you think it is. Amen. And it ain't made to uncover. It ain't made to reveal. I'm telling you, God gives a man and a woman to each other, one man and one woman to each other. And there's some things ought to be kept private and they ought to be decent. They ought to be respectable all the days of their life. And there's some things that ought to never be mentioned and never be spoken about. They ought to make us blush. But the problem is in this society, they don't blush at anything anymore. They've done seen everything. So most of our young people have seen more going to Walmart than most of us ever seen before we got married. Isn't that right? Let alone what they see on a cell phone or what they see in the house. I'm talking about, friend, what do they see when they look at me and look at you? They ought to see some cleanness about us. Stay out of the movie house, amen? Live clean. Live consecrated. And a lady told me one time, she said, ain't nobody gonna tell me how to live. I said, well, ma'am, the word of God tells us how to live. Those are the famous words of a rebel this morning. I want to tell you this morning, if there's anything, if there's anything that salvaged my life as a teenager, it was some old-time leather-lung preaching, some men of God that wasn't worried about the number on the board, that wasn't worried about their paycheck. They loved the people that were preaching enough and enough to preach on sin and call it out by name. Brother, I didn't know long hair on a man was wrong until somebody opened 1 Corinthians 11 and preached on why it's a shame and a sin for a man to have long hair. Thank God I'm glad the liberals didn't get to me. 
in that little storefront building that preacher on a Sunday night he preached on why men ought to have a decent haircut I read the scripture that night boy I'm telling you God spoke to my heart and put drew a line in the sand and I believed it ever since because I found it in the book amen and if it's in the Bible it'll always be right he preached against having tattoos and if God saved you and you got inked up before you got saved God forgives you and you go on and serve God and that's all right. but I'm telling you listen not a one of y'all ought to get inked up amen y'all to never get a tattoo the Bible said don't put markings on your body amen and you listen your body's a temple of God the temple of the Holy Ghost there's no such thing as a Christian tattoo somebody say amen don't put a cross on your shoulder or a fish on, on your neck or anywhere else if that happened before you got right with God or before you knew better, that's okay. I'm telling you, thank God. And those people understand that. But I'm trying to preach to a generation that's been raised up. Mom and dad's told them better than that. But they go along, they go to some liberal mess somewhere where the pastor gets up and announces he got a tattoo last Sunday and everybody claps and applauds. Hey, that's not of God. Somebody say amen. There ought to be some commitment. Your body is to be Holy. Your body is where the Holy Ghost lives. You ought to not take the Holy Ghost anywhere as he wouldn't want to go. You ought to not have him have to, he ought to not have to listen or look at anything that you know. He ought to pray every time. Would God be pleased with what I'm about to do? Talking about what have they seen in that house? Fleshly house. And while I'm on the subject this morning, there's a lot of things that sin, but overeating is as much as sin as anything. There's nothing worse than going to a camp meeting a guy weighing 400 pounds up there preaching against why it's wrong to smoke cigarettes. Because it'll kill you. And they're digging their grave one spoon at a time. Y'all still with me this morning? I'm talking about, friend, it's all sin, ain't it? Oh, me this morning. Brother, I'm talking about this morning. They ought to be some consecration. They ought to be some dedication. Listen, they ought to be. I, I don't like it when a preacher gets up and says the liberal soul shall be fat, made fat and everybody laughs and he's 400 pounds and destroyed his hell. Hey, we could all stand to lose weight, but we got to keep working at it. We got to exercise some discipline. Amen. You say, what do you do? You got to get off the couch. Amen. You got to get up and get mobile. Amen. You got to realize these limbs were made for more than just reaching over and getting a soda or a bag of Doritos. Amen. Or propping up on the coffee table. You got to put a little exercise involved. Uh, if you sit in a desk all day, you got to buy a tri- treadmill. Amen. Don't buy your wife one, but buy yourself one. Amen. I'm just telling you, friend, uh, there ought to be some discipline. There ought to be some exercise. Uh, uh, brother, I'm telling you, listen, you ought to learn how to sweat a little bit in life. It won't kill you. Might kill you if you don't. Talking about the family house. What are they seen in the fleshly house? And then for the few that are still listening this morning. <laughs> What have they seen in the faith house this morning? You know the church is under such attack. I've preached things this morning. I preached myself under conviction, but I need it this morning, don't you? Good preaching, not because I'm preaching, but because we need it this morning. What have they seen in the faith house? You know, it takes a group effort nowadays to keep a church on a spiritual level. Standards alone will not keep a church on a spiritual level. There are churches today that have the right standards and their graveyard dead. Because standards, as good as they are and as necessary as they are, they do not produce spirituality. 
God will honor standards. God blesses standards, and he don't bless people that don't have standards. But you've got to have more than standards. In 20 years of pastoring this church, I've pastored three groups of people. I've pastored spiritual people, liberal people, and Pharisees. And I'm going to tell you, I don't want to be in the liberal crowd. We're not selling out to the world. We're not having the worldly music. We're not having contemporary music in here. We're not having casual services. Amen. We're not having a rock band. Somebody say amen. We're not preaching out of an NIV or an ESV or an HIV or any other kind of IV you can think of this morning. We're not letting corrupt texts come in the pulpit. But I'm going to tell you something this morning. If there's anything else that will kill not just liberalism, we're not having Phariseeism. Amen. Amen. Now, you'll shout on liberalism, but what about Phariseeism this morning? Thank God for standards. Thank God for separation. And I'm glad I got them, but thank God they don't have me this morning. It takes more than a list. You better have love, and you better have a life, and you better have a relationship. Your list is not enough, friend. Thank God for them. But if you pride yourself in them, if you boast yourself in them, if you think you're better than somebody else because of things you don't do or you do, listen, you've missed the boat, friend. You've missed the boat on this thing. I don't have standards so I can brag about it. I don't have standards so I can look at people and say, well, I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't run. You know, when I preach this, liberal people love it. Well, I'm as much against that side as this side. And I'm gonna tell you something, Phariseeism, thinking you're better than somebody else. There are people, boy, they'll drop the hammer on others. What's wrong in your life this morning? Oh, listen. Oh, you dress right and you don't listen to the wrong kind of music. But how filthy is your heart this morning? You know, pride is as wicked as a lottery this morning. Well, I don't drink alcohol and I, I don't play the lottery and thank God you shouldn't. Somebody say amen. My kids don't do this and my kids don't do that. That's wonderful, but I'm gonna tell you something. Job said it may be they've cursed God in their hearts child can sit on the front or the second row in a good old time church and look just right all the days of their life but there's something none of us can see this morning we don't know what's going on in them hearts you young people hear me and hear me well you ought to live squeaky clean stay away from worldliness stay away from the crowd the, the liberal crowd you ought to run from that crowd but you ought to do it for the right reasons you ought to do it because you love Jesus you see, when you do it because you love him, you don't ever feel like you measure up to nothing. <laughs> Ain't been one day in my life I've ever felt holy. Never. You never think you're better than nobody else. I'm gonna tell you, that jealousy will eat you up. It's crueler than the grave. Been around people that like to brag about things that they do. They like to flex their spiritual muscles. Well, they like it tight and right, and I do too. I like it. Boy, I mean, preach it. I, nothing pre I've said this morning bothers me. I mean, it convicts me, but it don't bother me. But I'm going to tell you something this morning. Get throwing your kids to the world, you'll lose them. But I'll tell you something else. Building pride in them, you'll lose them just the same. Your kids will have to learn the reality of loving Jesus if they ever live for Jesus. If they never get a hold of that, the world will never get them to give up their standards. 
when my kids were coming up, the rule was we're going to do this because the Bible says so. The second rule was we're going to do this because your parents say so. And I didn't tell people a lot of things because I didn't want to hear their, their commentary on those things. I did talk to people I had confidence in. My pastor. Godly people that had already raised their children. You know, you can't tell young people nothing nowadays. They know everything. Whether it's in the church or on the job, they, they got it all figured out. Spiritual thermometers. And I'm going to tell you, I remember when I, my kids were coming up, there's three things stuck in my mind. Number one, you better feel the word of God in them. You better teach them the scripture from the time they can, you better just read the Bible to them. Even when they're an infant, read the Bible to them. Memorize scripture with them. You can't be a lazy parent and just take them to church and think that's enough. You're going to have to teach them the word of God. Train them. Don't leave that up to the Sunday school teacher. Even when they can't read and they can't talk, read the Bible to them. Set them down and open the, open the word of God and let the, let the scriptures fall on their little ears. Let it soak down in their tender salt water babies. Lay them across that bed. Get your wife by the hand and pray over them. Pray some specific prayers. Pray for my grandchildren to be saved. I pray God will keep them from sin and from Satan. I pray that they'll marry in the will of God. I pray they'll serve Jesus all the days of their life. I remember those days when my kids were small. We poured the scriptures in them. I took counsel from people. I didn't listen to people on the job. I didn't listen to people that went to a liberal or a contemporary church. Never. And I didn't listen to some church member that didn't like the preaching that they hear like this morning. I didn't listen to them neither. But I looked at people who were not perfect, but they had raised their kids right. And maybe even their kids didn't turn out right, but they raised them right. And I listened to what they had to say. I took their counsel. I'm going to tell you, can I just say this this morning? Counsel has saved my life, my home, and my ministry. Brother, I'm telling you, you never get too old to take counsel. Older men of God have salvaged me in the ministry. Just hearing what they said. I came to this church, I knew I didn't have it figured out. But taking counsel has so salvaged me here at Bible Baptist Church. Listening to them godly, and I'm going to tell you about them godly people. You'll have to go ask them because they're not going to tell you. The person running around giving advice all the time don't listen to nothing they got to say. They might be quoting something they read somewhere that don't listen to them. Godly people don't go around shelling stuff out. They don't feel like it. But I tell you, you find one that's done it right and you go talk to them. And here's probably what they're going to say. Well, I, I really don't know anything a whole lot. I can just tell you my mistakes and I can tell you what I've done and a whole lot of prayer and a whole lot of scripture reading. And, and, but but they'll, if you'll just listen, they will tell you something. 
But don't you talk to them people all the time giving that free advice. I don't care how good it sounds. See, anybody can read a book. And parents, you may think it's all good today. I'm telling you this for a reason. I, please don't think I'm being mean to you this morning. I'm telling you this for a reason. If I've seen anything, this is what I've seen. I've seen the shock on the faces of parents. The shock on the faces of spouses who they thought everything was perfect. And one day, oh, I, I pray that day never comes in your life. It ought to drive us to our knees this morning. It ought to humble us. You know, I worry more about my kids now than I ever did. I'm ashamed of this, but I pray harder for them now than I ever did. Because I know the devil, he don't ever quit. Just because you walk them down an aisle, that doesn't mean you walked them across the finish line. He's still got that target on him. I didn't realize this until both my girls got married. Praying for your kids is a battle to the end. You'll pray for them until you leave this world. That's how it is. But it's a battle worth fighting. The only way to win that battle is on your knees. Living a what have they seen in thine house? I didn't even deal with the church house. I'm going to leave that off. I ask you this morning. I, I thank the Holy Spirit. I got up this morning, went to my office. I was going to have a, just a brief word of prayer. But when I started to pray, the Holy Ghost, he said, I want you to preach on the home again this morning. And immediately he brought that passage. What have they seen in thine house? God said, I want you to preach that this morning. And I don't believe it's by accident today. As we stand... You obey the Holy Spirit this morning if He speaks to you. Brother David's going to sing, You Mind God.